Heidi. Yes, Jane. Okay, you've known me forever. What am I most obsessed with in the whole wide world? Huh. You love your kiddos, yoga, a good class at Soul Cycle. Wait, I know! As long as I've known you, you've had a tumbler full of something attached to your hand. Ding, ding, ding. I am the beverage queen. I literally never leave home with less than five beverages. I am a hearty hydrator. And before I discovered the beauty of having a really good tumbler in my life, my boss used to tease me that my desk looked like a bodega by the end of the day because I would have a bounty of beverages all stacked up. Well, lucky for us, there's a better way to beverage now and a super fun gift idea for this holiday season. Corksicle makes super cool products like insulated tumblers, coffee mugs, coolers, barware, canteens, and more. They have a ton of options for the holiday. Check out their gifting section where you can filter by price, type of recipient, and their drink of choice. Whether they're into sipping champagne before a luxe night out or chugging water to maintain their fitness goals. I'll be gifting a Series A Sport Canteen, which activates your best hydration ever. You can get one in the portable 20-ounce size or the heavy-hitting 32-ounce size. Great for toting to your next workout or practice. Keeping things cool for 25 hours or hot for 12. Plus, it features a soft yet incredibly strong Duraprene finish and a quick sip sport lid for easy drinking on the go. Okay, I'm going to share the product that I asked George to give for me. From the second I saw the Lotus Backpack Cooler, I was in love. I'm constantly carrying around my kids' janky cooler bags to tote my beverages everywhere. So imagine my delight when I visited the Corksicle site and saw this adorable cooler meets backpack hybrid. It's got a bunch of exterior pockets to hold additional valuables on the go, and the interior insulation is made from 100% recycled materials. Corksicle is offering all listeners of Off the Gram 25% off through the end of the year with code GRAM25. Jane, you know I'm not on TikTok, but even I am hearing about all of the crazy beauty trends exploding over there. Right? I mean, even you have to have heard of skin cycling. I have! That one is exploding all over social and mainstream media. And why wouldn't it? I mean, I've never met a human who isn't confused and overwhelmed by all of the skincare products and when and where to use them. I feel like the rules change every five seconds. Totally. That's why renowned celebrity dermatologist, Dr. Whitney Bowe, created Skin Cycling. It's a simple four-day approach to your nighttime regime that you can customize to your skin's needs. Finally, something I can follow. So pumped that she is gifting two of our lucky listeners her two new products. Make sure to follow Jamie and I on social for details on that giveaway at Heidi Christopher and at NYC Fit Fam. Jamie, tell them what they can win. Yep. First one is Dr. Whitney Bow Beauty's Exfoliation Night Resurfacing and Brightening Serum. Night one of skin cycling. Clinically proven, non-irritating, and powerful, this serum exfoliates with a blend of three skin-safe acids, including glycolic acid. Amazing. Next up, Night Mode Restorative Sleep and Skin Capsules for that inside approach to skincare that earned Dr. Whitney Bow her title as the three-dimensional derm. Love that. These clinically proven relaxation capsules support healthier skin by helping to ease stress, promote calm, and facilitate better sleep. Yes, please. We all could use those. Sold exclusively on drwhitneybowbeauty.com, our listeners can get 10% off using the code OFFTHEGRAM10. What we got to remember is fear has one job to stop you, stop you, stop you, stop you. But what's awesome about knowing that is it means we got the antidote, which is movement. All we got to do is keep moving. Welcome to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss and navigate the ever changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey guys, it's Jamie and our guest today is the fabulous and inspiring Judy Holler. Judy is an entrepreneur, coach, podcaster, keynote speaker, and author of the fabulous book, Fear is My Homeboy. But before all of that, she started as an improv actor, studying at the famous Second City Theater Training Center and Conservatory. Judy says that improv made her sharper, slowed her down, insisted she listen, focus, prepare, trust herself, toughen her skin, and it made her really, really good at what she does. Her work takes the experimental principles of improv and applies them 
to the unscripted stage of everyday life. Her ideas are meant to teach you that you'll never be fearless, but you can get really good at fearing fear less. Listen to today's show if you're ready to stop living in that annoying self-centered fear that rules so many of our lives. You want to aim higher, be tougher, and become more productive. Or if you'd simply like to wake up and feel brave, happy, and purposeful. Who wouldn't? Am I right? So welcome, Judy. Oh my God, it's so good to be here. Uh, and I put on my, my hot pink lipstick for you. Girl, I don't know if you can see it. We're on it camera. Looks good. But this is for you. <laughs> and look, here's the thing. And it's funny because I was actually going to start there because I want to start with your background a little bit. I've been personally watching your keynotes online as, as a keynote speaker, um, who's kind of like a yes. little bit at the start of my career, maybe my first 18 months of, of really getting out on the keynote speaking circuit. I look at someone like you and I'm, I really look up to you, Judy. I want you to know that. I want to start off by oh, saying Jimmy, thank you, you are a talent and you are exactly that sweet spot of just you are aspirational, attainable, inspirational, all of the things that a keynote speaker should be, but you're Thank also you. unique. So I want to tell all of our listeners, mm. do yourself the favor of Googling Judy right now and watching her talks oh. because they're like anything unlike you. anything you've ever seen. So not only are you obviously inspirational and fun, but obviously you use your history in improv to bring people yeah. like on stage and have them do improv exercises. So, and I love that you said the biggest yeah. misconception about improv is that improvisers are just winging it. Like that's genius. Yeah. So can you share a little of, of your history with improv and what made you decide to integrate it into keynotes with hundreds, if not thousands of business professionals at a time? Like what does it teach them? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So I love that you started with the, the big thing to understand. And you know what? And I think this is like a really great takeaway off the jump and it could shave some hard lessons off your journey because I wish I would have thought about this sooner, but sometimes the things that aren't working in our business end up illuminating what we need to change so it will work. So let me give you an example. Um, we were cranking, cranking, busiest keynote year on record, had scaled this seven-figure keynote speaking business and then the pandemic hits and right and everything changes and we go virtual, thank goodness for Zoom and that ability to be able to be on stage and stay in the work when things were really disrupted, even if it was in a modified way. But what we found over the last year is we were just hitting a rub. We're like, why are we closing business? Why are all of a sudden we not converting? Like. What's happening here? So we started call, picking up the phone, calling our speakers bureaus, calling our clients. You know, we haven't seen something close in a while. And can you tell us why? Are you hearing anything? We got some feedback and it was this, that some of the clients and companies and agencies I work with were afraid of the word improv because what they thought is like, I don't need this girl coming into my company and telling my people to go rogue and telling my people to be like, just wing it, baby. Oh. And I, and that was like, Thank God we asked the question because it illuminated everything for us from a content and a resetting perspective, because what we're really doing is teaching people how to take more confident action. And the way you do that is through preparation. And it is your preparation that allows you to improvise in the moment. So improvisers, we use our training tools like yes and, and no mistakes, only gifts and mirroring and all these these little tricks we have from improv we use those to sort of take a deep breath and keep moving when shit gets real hard so we are now telling people and this is the big takeaway that the big misconception about the improv theater is that that we wing it oh judy she's cool she'll just wing it she can just show up and wing it now here's the deal we don't have a script for this podcast episode and i can show up here in this moment and be this for you and provide value for your audience because I've done the work and I'm prepared and I know you and you know me and we knew this was happening and I've got a loose idea of where we may go today, but it's all my preparation. It's all my times at bat that allow me to wing it and improvise when I need to. So that is the essence of the work I do, certainly on stage and the message I'm sharing with teams. Like you don't need to be confident to go do new things. It is actually the doing of new things that makes you more brave and more confident. Like you doing something and living to talk about it makes you want to go do it again. So taking it all the way back to speaking, right? That first speech, 
that first podcast episode, that first book, that first social media post. Like you gotta, you gotta say yes. You gotta get yourself in the game. And then what are you gonna do about it? You gotta add something new, which is our and moment. So we can talk about that, but yeah, in a nutshell, Jamie, like that's the essence of the work. It's really listening, um, which is a big part of improv and iterating. And the more you do this, the more confident you get. You know? I love that. You know, yes. And I have, as a coach, I have clients all the time that just, they're waiting, their famous words are, you know, I'll be happy when, or I'll do it when, Ooh. or I'll get the new job when, or, or, you know, alternatively, I'll be happy when I get the new job, whatever it is. And I mm. always say, girl, mm -hmm. if you don't ever do the thing that's hard, you never get a thick skin. You're like the princess in the pea. And then every little thing rattles you and then it keeps you held back and then you never grow. And it's yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. So tell me how yes. getting people up on stage and doing improv can actually maybe cre even create that moment. It's like, maybe they don't even know how to take a first step and be brave. Well, you're yes. going to, you're going to pull them up on stage and make them be brave. Right. And, and let them feel proud of themselves for like taking a little chance. What does it look like when you do that? I love it. So yeah, so improv had such an impact in my life and I knew that I had to share those ideas. I mean, and what a lot of people, a lot of people don't know is that I took my first improv class in Chicago when I was 30. Like I had a big career. I moved to Chicago by way of a promotion from St. Louis and I had a big career in national sales for hotel companies. So I was like running that corporate game, big job, loved my career, sitting on boards, doing all the stuff, but I was single and always sort of had this like, you know, secret desire to just take a basic class at Second City, like level A improv, legit was the, the, the class I signed up for just to see how it felt to maybe meet some people, you know, put myself out there and all that, right? And ended up catching the bug. So when I was sitting in those classes at night, doing a corporate career by day, I started going, okay, and this will answer the question, I promise. It, I was kind of going, okay, all this stuff I'm learning in the improv theater is making me really brave on the stage. Like I'm taking risks and I'm putting myself out there. Hold up. If I start applying these same ideas to like the boardroom, what could I get done? And I started bossing up. I started bossing up in the boardroom, asking for the raise, asking for what I want, sitting on panels, writing articles, talking to my boss, you know, asking the first question in meetings. And in my personal life, I started leaving bad dates when it was no longer <laughs> a vibe. I started going on dates. I started asking for what I wanted. I started putting myself out there in really bold ways. So I said, oh my God. How could I apply this to the work? How could I take this little magical hobby I found and apply it to what I'm doing like in the professional world? So that's kind of how it began, like blogging and free speaking and write anybody that would listen to me. I'd lead our sales meetings. I would talk about it. Okay. So flash forward to my life as a keynote speaker, I knew I had to use improv to teach the lesson. So my first keynote speech um, was really more about like personal branding improvised, right? Like that's kind of how I started. And then I realized, oh wait, the reason people don't put themselves out there or brand my, themselves is because they're afraid. And then I started doing a lot of work around fear. Hence fear is my homeboy and, and where we are now. And it's still continuing to evolve. So when I wrote my talk and it evolved and became the talk that it is now, the, the signature talk I have is called everyday improviser. I knew, well, I have to show, I have to show them. So what I do, and I don't pull people up. I ask for volunteers and I wait and I let people pick themselves because I think it's in the sort of nominating of yourself that you sort of, you've got to step into the scary thing. That's like lesson number one without even realizing you're doing it. And then lesson number two is they do this thing. So I get one, two, three, four people up, depending on the game, it changes all the time. And I don't know what's going to happen either. So it's really fun for me and really scary because it keeps me connected to improv. It keeps all my talks really interesting because they're all a little different. So I'll get volunteers up and they will have no idea what they're going to do. And Jamie, I can physically feel them, see them shaking. Okay. Sweating, shaking. And you just want to give them a big hug. And what I want to say is like, oh my God, girl, you have no idea how, how much fun this is going to be. Like you are going to look amazing and I'm going to make you look incredible. But like, that's the only thing I have going on in my mind thinking I've got to make him or her look magical. That's my job. Right. And so I tell them what we're going to do. We get the suggestion, we do it and ravenous applause and laughter and all this fun stuff. And then all of a sudden, every time, 
I think 99.999% of the time, the person I'm improvising with looks at me and goes, oh my God, that was amazing. Like they are on fire. Like I have goosebumps telling you, like you watch someone transform in front of your eyes and what it reminds that human of and the entire audience watching them of is that if she can do that, so can you. And that is just the beginning. And so we sort of ignite something. We wake something up that has been lying dormant, right? Because it's all possible, but we have to do it despite the fear. And I think we we have sort of come up against this really bad habit of thinking we need to be fearless. Wow. And that is that is the problem. That is the problem. And that is really leads me into my next question for you, because I really want to talk about the book. So the book, of course, the title Ooh. of the book, which is so clever, is called Fear is My Homeboy. And this is what I love about your message so much, Judy. It's applicable to everyone because honestly, who doesn't struggle Mm. with self-doubt? Literally nobody. I mean, maybe a sociopath. Maybe a sociopath. Hit me. (laughs) Yeah, like like everybody. So can you take us through kind of what led you, I guess, to title the book this way and to really go in on what it means to become like a fear boss? And, you know, I understand that you navigate this in different ways, but like, how do you take people through the paces? Mm, I love it. So fear is my homeboy. I literally came up with the book idea on my honeymoon. You know how it is. You get your best ideas in the shower <laughs> when you go on vacation because you finally own book. Like so cheesy, but it really did happen. And you know what I was reading? Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. If you haven't read that, have you read that book, actually, Jamie? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I read it every year, every year at the beginning yeah. of every year. That in War of Art, War of Art uh, by Stephen Pressfield. Anytime I'm taking on like a new creative project and I know I'm going to feel the resistance and fear, I read War, War of Art. Art. So I read I that never, book. I never... War of Art. Oh my God. Stephen Pressfield. It is a fear manifesto. He calls fear the resistance. So go get it. Um, everybody write that talking. book down. Yes, yes, yes. I probably read that book quarterly. It just depends on what I'm creating at the time. Because anytime you try to do something new, you what we got to remember is fear has one job to stop you. Stop you, stop you, stop you. But what's awesome about knowing that is it means we got the anecdote, which is movement. All we got to do is keep moving. Yes, and. Yes, and. Yes, and. Okay, so back to your question. So I was reading Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert and Soup's inspired, feeling all the vibes. I'm looking at the, out at the juicy ocean and she says something in the book that made me lose my mind. She goes, fearless, God, I hate that word. She goes, and I'm paraphrasing, she goes, think about it. If you were really fearless, you'd do all this crazy stuff. You would, you would, you know, walk down dark alleys at night by yourself. You eat poisonous foods. You never pay your tax, like all this stuff, right? And then she goes, she goes, and truly the only fearless people I know, and you said it, Jamie, are five-year-olds and sociopaths, right? Like that's your true fearless people, right? And so she says that in the book. And I literally, in a pink highlighter, hot pink highlighter, of course, I write in the margin. I'm like, that's it. Like I don't need, because what's next in my life? This is before the book, before I was speaking all of it. I'm like, what's the next thing for me? I'm lost. Like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then I was like, and I'm doing all this work on personal branding. And like, I'm just like, is that it? Ooh, I don't know. And then I was like, holy shit, that's it. I don't need to be fearless. I need to figure out how to vibe with it. And and why can't I make it my homeboy? Why can't I make it my ride or die? And I grew up in St. Louis in, in, in high school and I'm a kid of the nineties. And so everything we loved was our homeboy. Like, oh my God, that's my homeboy. Like you're my home, like homegirl, homeboy. It was like our thing, right? And so when I thought about a term of endearment that is me and different and unique and pop culture, I was like, that's it. And I wrote in the margins, fear is my homeboy. And it was like this sort of like, I don't know, maybe channeled experience, but just like I felt it like goosebumps. Like I felt like this like electric current run up my spine. And I was like, I think I'm going to write that book. And then I wrote that book two years later. And that's how it all began. And so I just knew that the reframing of our relationship with fear was my biggest takeaway from the improv theater, right? I always used to call it my fear yoga. Mm -hmm. It was like where I was going to get Zen with my fear at night, right? And then by day I do really brave shit. And so it became my ride or die, my my homeboy, my best friend, my most trusted advisor. So it doesn't mean that I'm not afraid. I think I am what, what would shock a lot of people about me is that I'm one of the biggest Freddy cats you'll ever meet. But that's the thing. The more you do it, kind of back to the way you began this, this podcast interview, like we have to get mm-hmm. up to bat. 
And the more you do this, the braver and more confident you get. So we call ourselves fear bosses and we are, we prefer to be the boss of our fear and we prefer to call the shots. We prefer to drive our car. It doesn't mean that, you know, fear isn't in the car or, or riding shotgun or a part of our conversation. It just means that we, we choose, we choose what happens next. We don't allow fear to dictate what comes next. You know, and, and at some some points in our lives, you know, if you're really in danger, of course, you, we want to keep you safe. But I'm talking about the fears like self-sabotage and perfectionism and procrastination and all that stuff that really just keeps you playing small. And amen to that, right? It keeps you playing small. And I, I think that there's some tactical measures that people can take as well, even just like on yeah. a day-to-day basis. I understand how you navigate. You have been telling me a little bit how you navigate this stuff. And I think that you were telling me you might have a gift for our listeners to help us organize and navigate and goal set. What might that be? Okay. I love it. I love it. So I think, so this is so good. There's two really awesome tactical things that I think can help your listeners like immediately. They have fundamentally changed my life. So the first thing, and before I share my obsession with goal-focused planning, because remember, fear wants to stop us, but so many of us get stuck in overwhelm. We don't know where to start. We don't know what to do next. So I have found for me as someone who has struggled with anxiety and self-doubt and overwhelm, like most human beings have most of her life, I have found the process of goal-focused planning to be a really powerful mental health tool as much as it's been a business tool. So more on that in just a minute. It, but let me back up. And this is this first thing I'm going to share with you is a part of my the process I use to sort of stay in forward momentum. But I want to challenge everybody listening to start conducting daily experiments. Okay. So, or otherwise known as fear experiments. So this is you making a choice. So to get really into uncomfortable moments on purpose every day, just a little bit. So I think so many of us look at our schedules and our planners and our day and we go, cool, this is what I'm doing. We go through the motions. What I do when I wake up in the morning is I say, okay, cool. Here's my day. Here's my day. How can I at least once in this day get uncomfortable? What is one thing I can do in all the stuff I have to do where I can remix it, where I can push myself outside of my comfort zone, where I can do something unexpected and stop swimming in a sea of sameness. Because when we do this, we end up stuck safe and just the same we've always been. So experiments are you experimenting with your fear every day, just a little bit on purpose. And it doesn't need to be a big seismic shift, like micro moments of bravery matter. So maybe it's you wearing sequin when everybody else is in suits. Maybe it's you going on camera for Zoom and you hate going on camera, but today you're gonna do it. Maybe it's you being at a, a um, in a meeting this afternoon and saying, you know what, I'm gonna sit in the front row or I'm gonna speak up first and make it a game to ask the first question. You know, what, maybe when I go into the... When I go into the, I did that all the time in corporate, right? I, I would, um, maybe I make it a game today to say, who am I going to take to lunch in the office? Who can I meet? Who could I, could I introduce myself to someone new at this event? Like, how could, could I pick up the phone and call my dad instead of texting him today? Could I, oh, here's one. Could I, I dare you not look at your email until noon today? Could you make it a game to not look at social media, but once today, right? Like, what could I do today? And, it may sound small, but it's big because the more you dance with the discomfort, the more comfortable you get. It's a muscle. You want to have a better relationship? Date your partner. Date your spouse. If you want to be more creative, play with your creativity. If you want to get muscles, go to the gym. If you want to get braver, play with it. So that's number one. Number two, so experiments, y'all. By the end of the day today, wherever you are listening to this, I want you to get uncomfortable. Maybe you send us a DM, me and Jamie, a DM on Instagram and say how much you loved this show. By the way, right? can you because give everybody, everybody your handle? <laughs> what is your handle? Oh, I'm at, I'm at, at Judy Holler, J-U-D-I Holler, Holler. And you can always H-O-L-L-E-R. DM off the gram podcast. We are there as well. Oh, yes. I mean, all those things. Some people are thinking, oh my God, she'll never see it. Why would I? But what if I do? And what if it becomes something, right? It's a game. It's so much fun. So I also am equally obsessed with the science-backed approach of goal-focused planning. So there are so many goal-focused planners out there. Do you Are you a planner, oh, girl? girl? Jamie, do you like planning? I'm a major okay. I'm planner, girl. Oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. I'm obsessed. Same. 
there are so many good ones out there. And basically goal-focused planning is the science-backed approach of working in small windows, preferably 90-day windows, and taking daily actions to like achieve big results. And so I had been goal-focused planning for eight years just to really sort of help me move the needle forward, yes, and my life, keep myself out of overwhelm, and most importantly, be asking myself the really big questions that are going to keep fear at bay and me in charge. And I love this process so much that, Jamie, during the pandemic, I ended up making a planner. It is called the Possibility Planner. We sell it on our website. But here's the thing. If you are curious, if you are overwhelmed, if you don't know where to start in your life, goal-focused planning is a great place to start. So take a look at what I have and what I've been doing, and I'm going to give it to you for free. So we sell it for like 50 bucks, but because you're listening and because you're here, I'll give it to you. So judyholler.com forward slash free gift. I know, super creative. And you could go download the, you know, sort of my goal-focused planning system to really see the questions I'm asking, to help me stay in forward momentum, to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm staying a fear boss, but most importantly, like where am I in my life? Where are my dreams? Where are my goals? Where are my priorities? And I think so many times we don't ask ourselves those questions and then we wonder why we have regret. And so I don't know. I just thought I'd share totally free. Go have fun. Take what you want. Leave the rest. Uh, but those two things, goal-focused planning and experiments every day. Are, are, are sort of my secret weapons, girl. You are so kind to give everybody a free gift. And let me tell you something. This is what I find so often, okay? So whether I'm coaching or speaking, I just find that people are on autopilot in such a severe way because we're mm. so damn busy yes. that they don't take the time to take a step back and ask themselves those questions. So like when you're making a to-do list, it's like the 11 things that you're vomiting onto the paper that are like 911 emergencies. But what if you had the, what if you gave yourself the extra time to take a step yeah. back and evaluate these priorities? And is this even the bucket? Is this even the category mm. that I should be focusing my energy on? And I think that's a very important question. And it sounds like you're going to give us some tools to organize it with that free gift. So thank you so much. Yeah, a hundred percent. Every year, George and I go to Expo East to check out the hottest new products in the healthy food space. Each year, something sticks out and sticks with me. And this year, it was a product called Good, spelled G-U-U-D. Good is creating a cereal revolution with functional foods that are not only good for you, but that you will want to eat every day because they taste so good. It's a convenient packaged food that you can eat guilt-free every day for optimal energy and clean, lean nutrition. It's a modern take on muesli, the traditional European cereal that's both healthy and versatile. Every recipe is a unique mix of plant-based, super clean whole foods in perfect combos that deliver high protein, high fiber, and low to no sugar. What's great about this one bag is that it's packed with nuts, fruits, and seeds, so you don't have to buy it all separately, and it can be eaten cold in a bowl, as a hot, instant, fully loaded oatmeal, as overnight oats, as topper to yogurt or ice cream, or made into healthy, quick, no-bake protein bars or bites. They've got seven different flavors, but our favorite here at Off The Gram is their fuel line. Athlete Fuel, a high protein and fiber blend with no added sugar to keep you full and energized. Brain Fuel, which is filled with antioxidants, omegas and superfoods. Gut Fuel, delivering an excellent source of dietary fiber, no added sugar and prebiotic superfoods to aid in healthy digestion. Here's my favorite pro tip for holiday gifting. Stop buying people knickknacks they don't need and help them load up on a healthy food that they'll really enjoy. George and I always buy each other a case of something yummy as a gift, so why not consider gifting a health lover in your life a case of good? And keep a little extra on hand for yourself, for holiday fuel, and for use in Better For You baking. The best place to buy it is on their website, which is eatgood.com. That's E-A-T-G-U-U-D.com. Type in the code G-U-U-D-O-T-G for 20% off. And I wanted to ask you, because I, I love the, the topic of one of your talks, you talk about and this is so funny because this is literally akin to the the description of one of my talks as well. And I think it's very across channels. Like it is the thing. People think they need to manage their time. They really need to manage themselves. Mm. And like that that is the differential. Yeah. If they learned that you can't really manage your time. Like I was interviewing Ariana Huffington on this exact show. And she said, what's my one, my one thing about work-life balance? It doesn't exist. Like that is a yeah. fallacy that people are trying that to achieve is. forever. So what if you just tried to manage your energy instead? And I know energy. that's something that you 100%. teach, right? 
So I wanted to talk about, because what I understand from that talk of yours is that in order for people to, to manage their their energy, you talk about kind of the fundamentals of prioritization, which means, of course, prioritizing your most important asset, which is you. And we are a wellness-centric yes. show, so anything that has to do with self-care, I'm here for it. Can you walk us through this go. concept? A hundred percent. I am obsessed with everything you just said because, yeah, imagine, like, how would your life change if you stopped managing time and started managing your energy, right? Like what could you get done if you had more energy? Who could you be if you had more energy? What could you start if you had more energy? And a lot of times we have to embody what we want first before we have it. Like for the years, years before I was a keynote speaker on main stages, right? I had to embody her. Who would she be? How would she dress? Who would she call? What would she read? What is she studying? What is she doing? Like, how does her website look like all of By the way, right? your website is you clutch. Have to, it's amazing. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So it's like, you know, that takes energy. You know, this embodiment of like, even before I wrote a book, how would an author think and be and feel and you know, what would she do? Right. And even for this next evolution of myself, it's like, okay, what would she do? What would that version of myself do? And all of that takes energy. So yes, we have to find ways to manage energy, um, which is a part of managing our time. And I think it can begin this way by really reframing self-love, self-love chapter one of my book, love yourself, super important. But the truth about self-love is that it's really about self-prioritization because you'll never book the spa appointment if you don't put it on your calendar and make it happen to begin with, right? And all that, that, that girly stuff is great, but it's so much more than that. It's about saying, this is my life. These are my years. And it could, like, and my legacy is actually today. Not what I do to, oh, of course we want to save for the future. And of course we want to leave a legacy behind in our work and our books and our kids and our families and all the things we're doing set us up for that. But truly today is what you have. You may not get retirement. You may not get tomorrow. So when you think about today, this moment being your legacy, you start to realize the urgency that is your life. So I use three questions to sort of guide my day and to make sure I'm a priority. And these are all a part of my goal focus process. So here's the sneak peek number one. And you heard me say it. First and most important question I ask myself every single morning, where am I in my day? Where am I? And all this, I got my little get to do list, right? Jamie's looking at it right here. Cool. Where am I? Where's Judy in that? Right? Where's my goals? Maybe today it's a goal. Where's my priorities? Maybe it's a priority. Maybe it's me, my joy, something with my husband, a movie, whatever. But where am I in this? Okay. Even if it's 10 minutes, where am I in my day? Number two, and you heard me talk about this too. How can I get uncomfortable today? And did I get uncomfortable today at the end of the day? Because if you find that you're answering no most days, you're playing it way too safe that's a red flag. And then the third question uh, that is equally transformational and quite powerful, and I think it can keep us out of overwhelm. So whether you've gotten a diagnosis, you've had a bad phone call, you've just received news that a global pandemic is shutting down the world, maybe you got a bad, someone told you no, Um, We're going to face things every single day in our life that we don't like, that are hard, that are challenging. Maybe you want to build something new. Maybe you want to write a new keynote, speak on stage, get into a new side of your business. I'm building a, a totally new company right now. I'm out of my comfort zone. So, you know, great. So here's the question I'm asking myself every single day. So whether you're an overwhelmed personally or overwhelmed professionally, we're all going to face it. I'm always saying to myself, and this is a yes and moment, what is the next thing I can do here? I don't need to do all the things. What is, yes, I'm overwhelmed. Yes, I need a vacation. Yes, I want to start this business. Yes, I want to speak on stages. Great. I've identified it. I've claimed it. Now, and it. And what is the next thing I can do? And sub-question to that, who can help me? I do not need to do it alone. How can I outsource this? How can I ask for help? How can I delegate? You know, when I look at my email every morning, I literally go, great do delete or delegate. Mm-hmm. I either need to do it, delete it or delegate it. Right. And so that keeps me out of overwhelm and in the action of the next thing I can do. So again, this is your permission slip. Like you do not need to do all the things. You actually don't even need a fancy business plan. You just need to keep moving because we all know that today 
is going to look a lot different than tomorrow. And I could write, of course, we want to think smartly about our businesses and have a plan, but we have all seen that life is improv. None of us have a script, right? That's the catch about improv theater. Anything can happen at any time. I can't control that, but I can always control this and what I do next. Those are the three questions that I think if you start using them today, whoo, you will start seeing things happen. Girl, that's a um, mic drop moment right there. Do delete or delegate also. That just like, Do delete or delegate. Yeah. It's a good one. It is a good one. You know, my, my program is called The Big Ask. I teach women to ask for help Ooh. because... I find that, especially as women, and I hate to pigeonhole us, but it's a fact is that sometimes we almost take on that sense of responsibility with like a sense of martyrdom. Like, well, I couldn't possibly care for myself or get a massage or whatever, because like, do you see all these people who need me? Everyone needs me. I have to be there for everyone. Right. And I look selfish. And then it's like, how selfish is Exactly. And you know, I, I really believe in like the age old adage of if you don't put the oxygen mask on first, eventually you will crash and burn. And like, you're not serving anyone. I tell my clients who are, you know, 25 pounds overweight. And, you know, I have a woman who has two adult need children and she's like, I couldn't possibly take time for myself. I had to worry for, about the boys. I said, my love, you're like 70 years old with your BMI. You're going to shave 10 years off your life then who's caring for your children? It's like, we don't think about the long term of like, if we don't care for this vessel, this mind, this spirit, we're not going to be around to do all those big things for ourselves and everyone else. So I love that. That's what it means to be the CEO of you. Like you are the boss of this business. I don't care who you work for or what you do. Even when I was in corporate, I, I literally thought like a CEO. When I was bartending, I think that was the first business I ever ran. And I talk about this in my book and I've shared this publicly on stages. Like that was my first job. Like that was my first entrepreneur because I knew like, okay, if I were to think about even my corporate job, whatever, like as my own business, what would change? How would I manage my energy and my time and make decisions differently, right? Because it is a shift and no one else is going to give you the permission to do self-care or the more time. No one's going to give that to you. No one's going to appoint you. No one's going to say, wish granted, babe. No, you got to go grant your own wishes. You have to go appoint yourself. You have to go ask for what you want. And you need, we all need to honor and study from and take good notes from women who are doing that. Because I think we can take people who set boundaries and say, oh my God, you know, and we take it personally. So stop hating and start studying. Start watching women who are doing this really well and take good notes and then go do it for yourself. I love that. I got to say, I hate the advice. I see it all the time. If, you know, all of these accounts on Instagram that make you, if they make you feel bad about yourself, mute them all. Okay, fine. If it's really impairing your mental health, fine. Yeah. If that's self-care for you, fine. But I think also maybe just evaluate first, like, why do they bother you so much? Are you just, is it something you wish you could do? You could. You could literally do that. So stop being jealous and maybe take a step back and first celebrate her success and then say, DM her and ask her how she did it. Most women are happy to share. I think we just get so stuck in our own meism and our own self-centered fear that that is that we just sit there through this little scarcity scarcity. of the iPhone and we just we just sit and look at everyone else's life and say, I could never, right? Yeah, I could never. It's all possible. I think that's a a, a beautiful perspective and it requires a, a shift. So for me, one of the things I did is, you know, especially when I when I knew I had my eyes on like speaking, like really keynote speaking, right? For a living. I mean, I did speech meets when I was in grade school. I feel like this is sort of my destiny, right? On the planet. Like this is the thing I think I can do in my own way that just, it's my gift, right? And so I knew I wanted to do it. And so when I started taking seriously that idea, all the women that I was watching do it ahead of me, they were just proof that it's possible. They're all proof. They're all living proof that it's possible. Because let me tell you something, if she can do it, so can you. And if he can do it, so can you. And you're going to find your way to do it, right? And so you're going to find your own avenue. So that's like our real job. I mean, we're DJs, truly. Our job is to take the things that are inspiring us, our ideas, our mannerisms, our style, our swagger, and remix it into something 
that feels authentic to who we are because that's what people want. They don't want a robot. They don't want perfect. They don't want somebody else's talk or somebody else's website or somebody. They want you. They want to see something they've never seen before. And that in lies the challenge and the real job of anyone out there. So I don't know. I think it's proof that it's possible. And that's just a shift, right? But I love your reminder that is this, is that person triggering you sort of holding up a mirror to something that maybe you're not doing for yourself, Absolutely. right? Like what could you, what could you learn from her? I love yeah. that. Well, as we kind of round the corner to the end here, I just wanted to pick your brain with one more question because you have such a sight line, I think, into, you know, you're speaking to these big groups, oftentimes down from the, the general workforce up to like C-suite executives. So you, I think you really have a sight line into some of the work-specific fears right now. We talk a lot right now about the fears around return to work. I mean, there's so much fear, or there's so much talk around quiet quitting and all of these different things, right? Where people are just mm. trying to reconcile, like, what does it mean? I'm having these fears about going back. I don't know how to navigate all of this. And they're big existential questions. I mean, a lot of people are like, do I stay in this job or do I pursue a side hustle? That might be scary, but it's my passion. Mm -hmm. Or what's more important, salary and ambition or life balance and happiness? And these are big questions that might not have an easy answer. So I have kind of two questions from your own experience of giving keynotes and then, of course, talking to people after the, the keynotes and just hearing people's voices. Yes. What is one thing that's keeping leadership up at night right now? And what's one common theme or fear you're hearing across like talent teams right now? Like what are the people fearing about maybe returning to work or the new normal? And what are the people at the top? Like, how do I help make the best environment yeah. for productivity? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful question. And it is, it is a conversation we are studying all the time because it's changing all the time. And to be frank, I don't think... A lot of us know because we've never been in this before. So I would think the big thing we hear is that leaders want to know the answer to this question. How do I manage all the chaos? <laughs> and the answer is probably not the answer we all want to hear as, you know, we're leaders ourselves leading teams and and movements and communities and certainly the, the audiences that engage with our work. The answer is a little hard to hear. And the answer is that, you know, we, we may just need to be in the chaos mm. <laughs> a little bit here um, because I think we're all still regulating, right? We're all still trying to figure out how to be. That said, I think what we're seeing is that leaders are burnt out leaders are are if we're talking leadership people managing down right they're burnt out they want answers to to find the calm in the chaos and a lot of leaders are really resisting some of the change that's happening specifically that remote and hybrid environment so i think the other and the final thing we hear a lot in a conversation we're having is that and what we're seeing as i work with a lot of these big fortune 100 500 companies is that there is a fundamental mistrust of leadership and so i think for leaders listening it's a powerful awakening to say okay maybe we start having more open conversations instead of behind closed doors conversations sitting across the table from people going yeah me too I i'm i'm struggling too you too me too how can i help you help you help me right and so um there is a universal and fundamental mistrust out there of big corporate and from a manage up perspective what workers and mid-level management and downward are, are feeling is that they, they, they will no longer tolerate or want to work in toxic environments for toxic leaders and they want flexibility and they want freedom. And I think the challenge our workers are having, and so is our, our so are our leaders are what you just said to open the question, you know, how do I boss up in my career? How do I build this profession, this career the way I want it, but also have a life? And it always comes back to yes and for me. And yeah, you can do both and. Right. You can be sweet and salty, right? You can uh, be busy and set boundaries so you can find some balance. And I think what so many people need to remember, leaders and workers alike, is that boundaries are always a negotiation. It is a here's what I can't do, but here's what I can't do. And it's us remembering that everyone is going to work a little bit differently and everyone's going to be rewarded differently. So I think the big takeaway is to find um, ways to just as a leader, you know, if we know that there's this fundamental mistrust, 
how do we get out from behind closed doors and just sort of hold space? We don't need to have all the answers because we've never been through this before, right? So how do I remain open? How do I sort of sit across the table from you and lean into our humanity on this thing? And then also as workers, setting the boundaries we need to say, yeah, I'm all in. I am ready to be a team player. Here's what I can do and here's what I can't do. And that that is a lesson in courage. And, and that is a, a fear is my homeboy moment in itself because leaders need to set boundaries boundaries, uh, mid-level management needs to set boundaries, and we just need to find a way to, to, to sort of listen to each other. But we, we want calm in the chaos, and I think we just sometimes need to realize that being in it and just allowing you know ourselves to take a, a deep breath is a power, powerful action in itself. So I don't know. I don't have the answers here, but that's where I see people. People are burnt out, and they want balance. And so um, how can we get more balance by setting the boundaries we need to go and get that and to not feel guilty about yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think you do have the answers. I think it's a pretty damn good answer. And, and also, instead of just quiet quitting, instead of just silently, passive-aggressively doing the least, it's going to your mm-hmm. managing director and saying, hey, here's the deal. I'm setting this boundary. This is going to be how it's going to work. I'm not just secretly bowing. Like what you're saying is a totally different framing of the same conversation, but done with courage and adulting and maturity and and it takes practice and you can use yes and to do it. So it feels very different going to your boss like, hey, uh, Jamie, I need you to take on this project at work. You're already slammed and it's going to require all this extra time. You've got so much on your plate. Um, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that, but I don't have the time or but I'm burned out or but I'm overwhelmed feels very like negative and shut down and brick wall as opposed to maybe looking at your boss going, OK, yes, I am all in like I am here to help. And what's going to go on the back burner? so that I can do this for you. Like, what are we going to deprioritize so I can make it happen? So like use yes and as your guide to like ease yourself into some of these tough boundary setting conversations. So again, boundaries don't mean I'm just saying no. It means it's a negotiation. It's always a negotiation and it takes practice. You just got to work on it. And, and, you know, I think if you're leading with here's what I can do instead of just shutting it down with a no or a yes, but you feel a lot more collaborative and it tells your leadership because it can be, it can be scary to your boss to say, uh, no. <laughs> so, you know, but at the same time, you know, we will burn out and we all have a life. And I think there's this other conversation happening around quiet quitting that it's not people trying to leave. It's also people saying, you know what? How about this? I'm going to do my job instead of work 70 hours a week. I mean, there's so many times we sit in a thousand meetings and we're not able to do the actual job we're paid for because we are run ragged with meetings and Zooms and conference calls. So like, how about we let people do their Mm -hmm. job and then go home when we're done with our job and see what happens. And everybody's going to be motivated differently. So we have to ask those individual questions because maybe the quiet quitting you see is actually just someone who wants to be done at five o'clock and go hang out with their kids because that's the season of life they're in. But they're all in when they're at work. They're just like, I'm not going to answer your email at 8 p.m. You're right. Yeah. And, and and I also like the idea of having data behind it. Like I, there was just a great article on Inc. that there was a study that was done that said 40, let's see, companies who basically mandated four days a week of like no meetings or three days a week of no, literally no meetings, like meeting, like no abolished on those days. They had like a 43% increase in productivity. Like they, I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think quiet quitting almost diminishes what's actually going on here yes. and makes it an us against them, you know, millennial versus Gen Z mentality. Like that's not actually what it's about. So I think this conversation is like it's more disengagement. Yeah, it's it's like disengagement. disengagement. It's a new word for disengaging. You know, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think, you know, we just have to continue to take it step by step. And again, this is why fear experiments and experiments are really great because maybe you as a leader, you decide to your point. I mean, I'm seeing companies implement Freestyle Fridays where Fridays are mandatory no Zooms so that people can actually do work. Uh, No email Mondays, right? So literally, if I see you on email on Monday, we're in trouble because I need you moving projects forward. I see leaders doing really cool things like someone takes a vacation and then they actually don't work on vacation and then a big 
big party is thrown virtually for that person because it's like we're trying to show people, hi, she took her vacation. She did not work on vacation and she is going to be publicly rewarded yeah. for that. No, you know it, what I mean? Like new. Very that new. is awesome. And I and I think yeah. it's really interesting. And I think we had to, yeah, it was a tipping point that we hit, you know? And I think um, things it. are shifting for better, for worse. Look, it's all about how we approach it from our own personal space and the lens through which we see the world. So all you can do, and this is what I tell people all the time, is keep your own damn side of the street clean. And I think that's what you teach people to yes, do. Girl. We appreciate you. I have one more question for you that we always finish with. Yes. And it is a segment oh, called, and Megan usually does this, so I'm going to try to do her justice. Karma okay. call. We're going to make her <laughs> Karma call? It's called karma okay. call. So- Karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our guests, what is one action that people could take? Could be the experiment, could be anything you want. That could be a small action they could take every day that would make a giant result. I have to go 100% to the most important question I ask myself every day, which is where am I in my day? Damn, I wish I'm 46 years old. I wish 26-year-old Judy had the guts to ask herself that question. I wish we taught this stuff in school. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why is fear is my homeboy not a, a course in like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like middle school, like seriously, like I just, I didn't know how important it was to make myself a priority and whether you have kids or not, we all have different things pulling at us from relationships to business, to goals, to dreams, to family members, like, and all of that is going to work better when you work better. Like, because I did what I did this morning, Jamie, I am better for you on this podcast, which makes me better for your audience, right? Like, and that is the best business strategy you could ever implement. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, babe. So where are you in your day? There's no perfect day. There's no perfect week. But if you can get a slice of magic for yourself in your day every day, whether it's writing, whether it's um, listening to something, taking a walk, taking a class, picking up the phone, like do something for you every day. It'll change your life. Amen, my friend. We can't thank you enough for being here. You are amazing. Where can listeners find you? You already told us once, but tell us again on the gram. And also where can they like do all the things, subscribe to your newsletter, check out your oh, book, you tell us. Love it. Oh my God. Well, judyholler.com is my website that is always home-based. for um, people. Yeah, Judy, J-U-D-I. I'm Judy with an I. And my last name is Holler, H-O-L-L-E-R, Holler. <laughs> that is my maiden name. When I got married, I did not change my name because that name is too good. Um, and it pretty much sums me up. So Judy Holler, and I am the same at Judy Holler on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. And don't forget to go uh, get my planner stuff for free. JudyHoller.com forward slash free gift. Check it out. Send me a DM. Let me know your favorite part. Uh, borrow, steal, use whatever you want. It is my gift to you for listening and for just writing your life high vibe. Like um, I know the listeners of this this podcast do. So that's all the things. That's what we got. Love it. And yeah. Love it. Love you. Thank you. And thank you at home for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed doing it because I just felt like I chatted with a girlfriend for an hour and I'm glad that you came along to the ride. Hey, babe. Uh, hey, don't forget to follow Same. us on Instagram. We are Off The Gram Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts can be consumed so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Bye.